gospel, Jesus has already died. It's, got, it's come to the end of, of, of the gospel story in a sense, at least this part of the gospel story. Jesus has died on Good Friday. He has risen again on Easter Sunday. He has appeared to his disciples in Jerusalem, the holy city. Our story begins about a week later, actually more than a week later, after the disciples have gone home to Galilee without Jesus. Our scene begins early one morning on the shores of Galilee after a night of really bad fishing. Uh, And then just one last detail to keep in mind, and this is really important. On Jesus' last night alive, before his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion, while he was having dinner for the last time, at least on earth, um, before he comes again, I should say, Jesus predicted that all of his disciples would leave him. He predicted that they would all abandon him. And Peter, some, something of a ringleader among the disciples, he, he shouts out, not me, Jesus. Kind of throws his friends under the bus. All of them are going to leave you. I'm going to stick with you to the end. I'm paraphrasing here. Well, Jesus predicted before the rooster crows twice that Peter would deny him three times. And Peter, not one to be shaken, he doubles down and he says, Jesus, I'm going to uh, die before I deny you. All right, so that's our recap. Now we're all up to speed. Um, Would you please stand with me as you're able uh, for the reading of God's word? This is John chapter 21, verses 4 through 19. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you pray with me? Risen Lord Jesus, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. I'm not exactly sure what these friends of mine need to hear from you. Uh, Lord, to be honest, a lot of times I'm not exactly sure what I need to hear from you. But you do know. You know what each and every one of us needs to hear. And so we ask you together, would you speak your words of grace and love and mercy and forgiveness to our deepest fears and failures and shame? We ask all of this in your powerful name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I know we just met, but as I look out over this room, over this sanctuary, I have to say I'm really grateful. Y'all, y'all look good. And uh, y'all smell good, I, I, I imagine. I mean, I didn't go around sniffing people. That, that, that would be weird. Um, and I acknowledge that. But, but y'all, like, y'all came having cleaned up, right? I imagine pretty much everyone in this room showered or took a bath either this morning or last night. Um, you, you all put on your Sunday best. And, and, and for someone who works with college students, right, I'm usually around 18 to 20-year-olds. 18 to 20-year-old boys, men. Right? So I, I, I don't take for granted that you look good, you smell good, that you're, that you're cleaned up. I'm grateful for that. The Lord, like joking aside, the Lord is grateful for that. He appreciates you coming prepared and cleaned up and bringing your Sunday best. He's honored by you taking worship seriously. But he doesn't just want you to bring him your Sunday best. He also wants you to bring him your Sunday worst. Take a second now to think over this past week. What's the worst thing you said or you thought or you did? Maybe you had a harsh word spoken out of anger to a child or a spouse, a parent, a roommate, a friend. Maybe there were certain websites that you visited when you thought no one was looking. Maybe there was this rush of anxiety that you welcomed into your heart when you scrolled through your investment accounts, your Instagram page, Facebook. You know, where, where are all the likes? Where, where's my retirement? Where did that go? Bring all of that with you 
to this morning's passage. God doesn't just want your rosebuds. He also wants your thorns. He doesn't just want your highs. He wants your lows. He doesn't just want your happies. He wants your crappies too. Um, And if you're offended by that, just tell yourself I'm talking about the fish, right? So all, all you folks that fish, you know what I mean. God doesn't just want the best you. He wants the whole you, okay? How do I know this about God? Well, the main message of this morning's passage makes it crystal clear for us. Did you catch it as I read it earlier? If not, here it is. Here's the main message. God's word this morning tells us that his grace is bigger than our biggest failures. Can I say that again? Kids, those of you that want the prize that Pastor Logan was talking about, Logan, you're going to be handing out a lot of these, I think. Here is the main idea, the main point of today's sermon. God's grace is bigger than our biggest failures. All right? Lock it in. God's grace is bigger than our biggest failures. You can thank me later, kids. We know that God's grace is bigger than our biggest failures because it's bigger than Peter's biggest failure. What was Peter's biggest failure? Denying his Lord and Savior and best friend. Y'all remember, right? How on the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas... Peter followed him into the courtyard of the high priest, right? And there, while he's warming himself around that nice charcoal fire, he gets asked by some of the priest's servants, right? Including a little servant girl, if he knows Jesus. And sure enough, what Jesus had predicted comes true. Peter denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times after promising he wouldn't. Question for you. Where does this big grace, grace that's bigger than our biggest failures, where does it show up in Peter's life and in our lives? And this story shows us it shows up in three areas. There's the grace of presence, the grace of place, and the grace of persistence. The grace of presence, the grace of place, and the grace of persistence. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So first, the grace of presence. You know how certain protagonists, main characters in in movies, in in books, um, you know how like certain heroes, they have these like calling cards? Something that lets you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that it's them. I'll be back. We all know who that is, right? At least the adults in the room. Uh, Bond, James Bond, right? Or for you kids, you know, to infinity and beyond, right? We all know who, who that is. These are, these are these calling cards that these heroes have, uh, these protagonists have. And did you know that Jesus has a calling card too? Look with me at uh, verses 4 through 6 and see if you can spot it. Uh, let's, let's look at 4 through 7 today. Uh, just, as, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Let me pause right there. So what's Jesus' calling card? What's his thing? What does he say or do that, that lets everyone know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's him? It's the fish, right? I heard someone say it. It's the fish, right? In particular, it's Jesus directing the disciples to a spectacularly large catch of fish after a spectacularly poor night of fishing. Nothing had been biting until Jesus showed up and took charge and told them what to do. That's his calling card. Because remember, that's how he first called his disciples. It, it's, it's laid out in Luke chapter 5. It's, it's the exact same situation. They're fishing in Galilee. They spent the whole night, caught zero, zero fish. And then Jesus instructs them, and then, bam, this, this massive haul of fish. And in fact, in, in, that, in that instance, uh, they had to call in a second boat, a backup boat, because there was just so many fish, right? And then the boat started sinking because there were so many fish. Like, there's no mistaking it. And, and kind of just as a side, we'll move on here in a second, but in that first version, when Jesus is first calling and first showing his calling card, Peter, Peter cries out to Jesus, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. That's Jesus' thing, providing a miraculous haul of fish when they haven't caught anything for a full night. So notice how we've come full circle from beginning to end. Because here at the end of the story in John's account, Jesus reveals himself in the same way. And before moving on, I want to highlight one more thing. How does Peter now, in John 21, at the end, how does Peter respond to Jesus? Look, 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 at, look at verse 7. How does Peter respond to Jesus' calling card? In verse 7, we see, look, first, something clicks in John's mind. You know, the text says the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's shorthand or longhand, I guess you could say, for, the, for John, right? The beloved disciple. Something clicks in John's mind, and he says to Peter, it is the Lord. And then, immediately, something clicks practically to the point of, like, breaking in Peter's mind. Uh, because we see, like, when he realizes that it's Jesus, something kind of short circuits in between his ears. And he, the text says... That when he heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, because he was stripped for work, and then threw himself into the sea. He was so overcome. Sometimes, when you hear Jesus' calling card, and you realize you are in his presence, that grace makes you do some crazy things. So I want to ask you, have you heard Jesus' calling card? Have you experienced the grace of his presence in your life? When I was 12 years old, my grandpa Santos, he passed away. 
Grandpa Santos was my dad's dad. Um, in fact, I'm named after him. My middle name is Santos. Um, and he, I'll just say it, he was my favorite grandparent. Uh, he was tender, yet strong. He laughed a lot. He had these really ticklish knees. So my dad and I would pin him down and tickle his knees and he'd just start cackling. And he actually, he had a very distinct calling card himself. He had this distinct whistle that I had never heard before. And it's just, it's his own uh, unique sound. It's just as unmistakable as his laugh. So whenever I would hear, I knew, like it was Grandpa Santos. No one else has that whistle. I'd never heard it from anyone else ever before. Um, when he passed away, I was crushed. It was my first grandparent to, to go and to, to pass away, and the one that loved me and my siblings the most. Um, he was fairly young, and uh, he had cancer. We, did, we didn't catch it until the very end. And the, the really kind of cruel thing about it all is uh, we thought, the doctors thought that they had got it completely and that he was progressing. And on the day that he was supposed to come home, and we were actually getting some stuff ready, so certain systems started to fail internally. And the doctors discovered that there were complications from the surgery, that he had gone septic, and within a couple days, he was gone. This was after like my family and I would pr like pr were praying together for him to come through and he didn't make it. I bring this up because if I were walking around Davidson where I live and where I work, if I was walking on Main Street or if I was walking around campus through those trees, and if I heard like you can't see it, but like right now, literally the hair is standing up on the back of my neck and my face is tingling, and, and the hair standing up on my arms. Why? Because that whistle is Grandpa Santos's calling card. It signals his presence. It says, I am here with you. Peter heard Jesus's calling card, and he felt the grace of Jesus's presence which stopped him dead in his tracks and caused him to do something reckless. He was just so overcome. So let me ask again, have you heard Jesus' calling card? Have you felt the overwhelming grace of his presence? If you've ever experienced Christian community and fellowship, then yes, you have. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. If you've ever read scripture and taken it to heart, you've encountered Jesus' calling card. You've experienced the grace of his presence. Jesus was so saturated with God's word, he meditated on it day and night, all the time. He quoted it all the time. It was a part of him. And so if God's word is a part of you, Jesus is a part of you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
This word is living and active because Jesus is living and active in and through his word by his spirit. If you've ever prayed before, then yes, you've heard Jesus' calling card and you've felt the grace of his presence. Because what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that our prayers fill the heavenly throne room, the place where God's glory dwells. Psalm 141, verse 2, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. Have you ever burned incense? Right? The smell and the smoke fills every nook, corner, and cranny of whatever room that's in. Your prayers, your thoughts, your words, your desires, your fears, your shames, your joys, all those things that you direct to God are in his very presence. Revelation 5 verse 8 says that before the Lamb, before Jesus, there are golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Your words, your thoughts, in the very presence of God. Lastly, when you take communion, or if you've been baptized, you've been graced by Jesus' presence. He presides over the meal. He feeds you in communion. In baptism, he puts, your, he puts his name, like a team jersey, over you. You are his. He claims you for his own. These means of grace, fellowship, scripture, prayer, the sacraments, these are Jesus' calling cards. Through them, he is offering to you the grace of his presence. Will you receive it? That's the grace of Jesus' presence. What's the grace of place? Grace of place. Look with me at verses 9 through 14. And if you would, imagine the scene. Imagine the scene with me. In fact, try to imagine this scene through the eyes and the nose of Peter. Imagine the scene that we just read in verses 9 through 14. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, so we're Peter now, right? Imagine it. The sights, the smells. It's dark out. Verse 4, if you look back, tells us that day was just breaking. There's a charcoal fire pit that's giving warmth, that's helping, helping the disciples and Jesus cook. Jesus is breaking bread and serving you a meal. And if you're Peter, remember you're Peter, his eyes, his nose, what do these things remind you of? I mean, what happened the last time you saw Jesus break bread and serve you a meal? Oh, yeah. Last time that happened, Jesus predicted that you would deny him. You promised you wouldn't. And 
What's that smell? What, what, it's filling your nose. It's clinging to your hair and to your clothes. It's stinging your eyes. What is that? Oh, yeah. How could you forget? It's a charcoal fire. You know, for us, the smell of a charcoal fire reminds us of what? The holiday coming up, July 4th, hamburgers, hot dogs, corn on the cob, friends, family, right? Not so for Peter. What does the smell of a charcoal fire remind Peter of? Y'all, his failing. Y'all, that's the smell of failure for Peter. Failure smells like charcoal fire. That's where he denied his Lord and Savior three times. So Jesus is bringing him back there to that place. It's unmistakable. I mean, you know, um, psychologists, physicians, they, they acknowledge that smell is the strongest of the senses, especially when it comes to our memories, our sense memories. So while Peter's body, right, is off the shore of Galilee, his mind and his heart are back at that courtroom of the high priest. Next to that other charcoal fire, watching Jesus, denying Jesus. You know, Luke's gospel actually says that Jesus, when Peter was denying him, Jesus actually made eye contact with Peter from across that charcoal fire, right as Peter denied him the third time. And so just imagine here on the shores of Galilee, Imagine you're Peter and you're catching Jesus' eye again across a charcoal fire. What is, let me ask you this, what does failure smell like to you? Like for Peter is a charcoal fire, what does failure smell like to you? Is it a, a particular, maybe it's a particular house with a distinct smell, a childhood home, a relative's house, a friend's house? Uh, is it the smell of a classroom? You know, um, graphite pencils and rubber erasers. Uh, is it the smell of a, of a school gymnasium or a locker room? Maybe it's a certain perfume or cologne. Maybe it's the smell of stale beer or whiskey. What is the smell of failure for you? For me, the smell of failure is that unique, kind of obnoxious rubber smell. Not, not all rubber, but you ever, you ever been in like a, a commercial building, uh, and there the, are those stairwells that have that kind of rubber coating on the stairs, you know, like the, the ones that prevent your feet from slipping, and like they kind of have those like, uh, they almost look like those Lego bumps on the top, you know what I'm talking about? Well, when I was a, a junior at Davidson, um, so I, I went to Davidson in addition to working there now, um, I lived in the, the, uh, a dorm uh, that had just been renovated. And I lived on the second floor, and the girl that I had a huge crush on lived directly above me in the on the third floor. And I had been working up the courage, and just so you know where this story is going, that girl is not my wife, Amanda. 
Um, and so it felt like I had been working up the courage for months to let her know that I was interested in her and just to ask her out. And so one night, I, I don't know what got into me, I mustered up the courage and I decided tonight's the night I'm gonna go ask her out. And so because she lives right above me, I went out of my room into the stairwell and it's immediately as I entered the stairwell, like I started like sweating and kind of hyperventilating and you know, because I was nervous. And I, get, I start slowly climbing the steps and I get to the top and I get to open the door to her hallway and I chicken out. And I'm like, I can't do it. Like my hands are sweaty, my palms are sweaty. So I start going back down the stairs and I go to my door and I tell myself, you've come this far, Andrew, you can't, you can't give up on this now. And I kid you not, I must have gone up and down that stairwell like two or three times. You know, I'm gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it. All the while, because this dorm had just been renovated and they had just put down these rubber, this rubber coating and this rubber guard on these steps, I was starting to get lightheaded. Because that the vapors coming, I don't know if it's the rubber or the glue underneath the rubber, but those vapors started filling my nose. And eventually I was like, I need to get out of this hallway or else I'm gonna pass out. So that was it. I went, went for it, got out into her hall, went immediately up to her door, knocked on it, she opened it. I asked her out and she turned me down. And it, I was crushed. And then I had to go back walking down through that stairwell again and got hit with that smell again. And I share that, I, I recognize that that might not be necessarily an example of a moral failure. Um, but for years and years and years, that, that felt like failure. I mean, it was a, a rejection, which in a sense I interpreted as a failure of my attractiveness, shall we say, right? Well, fast forward to coming back to Davidson as a campus minister. And while I don't go into that particular building or that, those particular stairs, it's the same exact stairs, same exact rubber coating in the student union and I have to walk those stairs every day. And it, y'all, it was so healing going to my first large group as a campus minister, because I was walking up the back stairs, which led to our room with my wife, Amanda. And I walked, opened the door to walk into those stairs, bam, got hit with that obnoxious smell. It, it lingered there for 12 years, y'all. What, what in the world? <laughs> Oh man, if you've got something in your house that you don't like the smell of, like just get that rubber stuff in there and then you'll have a different smell to deal with, right, for a decade or more. But it was just, oh, it was so healing to be able to, to go into those stairs with my wife and walk up those stairs together. I, I, I still, I, I think it's a kindness of the Lord. Like he, it was a kiss from the Lord for me, redeeming that part of my story. It might not be like feasible for you to return to the place of your biggest failure. Like if it was in your childhood home that your family sold long ago, I'm, don't go up to you know, the new owners and knock on the door and say, hey, I really need to go uh, sit in my bedroom for a little while and, and work through some stuff. Like I'm not saying you need to go do that. But I think what God's word is encouraging us to do is to let others, and I would say, let a brother or sister in Christ into 
those places of deep failure and shame. Like, like tell your story of failure in vivid detail with a trusted brother in Christ or a trusted sister in Christ. And, and as you do that, invite Jesus into that so that he can heal that memory for you. Because you can invite Jesus into that place by inviting one of his children into that place with you. And I, as I've done this with other things and other situations in the past, I notice, man, in and through that, the Lord blesses us with tighter bonds with other believers. It's really healing. It's really beautiful. And I'd encourage all of us to do that. So that's the grace of place. Lastly, the grace of persistence. When I read the last few verses, verses 15 through 19 earlier, where Jesus asked Peter if, uh, or where Jesus asked Peter if he loves him three times, did any of you here sitting here kind of feel for Peter, at least a little bit? Like, did your heart go out to him? Or how about when on the third time that Jesus asked him, do you love me, the text said that Peter was grieved. Like, did anyone else kind of feel like, man, Jesus, like, why do you got to be so hard on him? Like, can't you see? Thank you. Can't you see that, uh, that this is hurting him, right? I hope I'm not the only one that feels for Peter. I know I'm not. Uh, thank you for raising your hand. Um, Y'all, this is a hard passage, I'm not going to lie, this last little bit. Especially, especially when we get to the verses 18 and 19 where Jesus predicts how Peter would die. Right? That, that last section, this whole last section kind of feels, if we're honest, like a, like a wet blanket. Like it's kind of cold and harsh and heavy, and then it just ends. Right? But what I want us to see, we can't miss this before we wrap. There really is grace here. It's the grace of persistence. Notice Jesus' persistence with Peter. He asks Peter three times if he loves him. Three times. One for each of Peter's denials. He's giving Peter three opportunities to express commitment and love and faith in Jesus. Having denied Jesus three times. And y'all, three times Jesus restores Peter to his calling. Like, when Peter's back, you know, before Jesus shows up, right, when Peter's back fishing with the disciples and they're catching nothing, like, imagine, imagine what's probably going through Peter's head, right? Like, I imagine Peter is out there fishing and kind of saying things like this to him or to himself. Well, man, serves you right. Like, what made you, could, what made you think you could actually, let's say, fish for men like Jesus asked you to? <laughs> You're so messed up, you know? You can't even fish for fish. What made you think you could fish for men? Like, I'm just imagining how down on himself he probably is, Right? I don't know. The text doesn't say this. This is a conjecture. But like if I were Peter, I would be thinking, well, now that Judas is gone, I'm the worst disciple. I mean, Judas betrayed him. That's worse, right? But, but Judas is gone. I denied him. 
I'm the worst disciple. Awesome. Have you ever been there? Have you ever failed so spectacularly that you'd almost rather die than go on living? I have. I'll admit it. Have you? If so, pay attention to what Jesus is saying to Peter. He is saying to Peter, I am not done with you yet. Hallelujah. Amen. I am not done with you yet, Peter. Because look, Jesus goes on to restore Peter to his his Jesus calling to go fish for men. Peter can still be useful to Jesus. Jesus says, Peter, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Right? My grace is bigger than your biggest failure, and I can restore you to loving service in my name. How awesome is that? So why does it hurt Peter so much? Why is Peter grieved? And why why does Jesus allow the grief? I want to get at it this way. I think he's calling Peter off of the path that Judas took. This, This worldly grief that ends in death and despair. He's calling Peter off of that path and he's putting him on another path. A path of godly grief that leads to life, flourishing, salvation. I mean, what what does the Apostle Paul say in 2 Corinthians 7? Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Jesus wants Peter to have no regrets. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Jesus doesn't want to see Peter despair unto death. Jesus is like this field surgeon who's working on a soldier who's just stepped on a landmine of failure. And and I can just see Jesus working on Peter and he's like, he's cutting out the shrapnel of regret that is all over Peter's heart. And just as Peter starts to fade away, Jesus grabs him, puts his hands around his head, and he he says three times to Peter, stay with me, soldier. Stay with me. Stay with me. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? We need to touch on the last two verses, and then I promise I'm done. What about this, this ending Yes, it's hard, but it is so, so hopeful. Why? It shows us what's always true about God's persistence of us. God's persistence leads to our perseverance. Look again at these verses. Notice Jesus is promising to Peter, in the end, even his death will glorify God. Verse 19 says that Jesus said this to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. Oh, how I wish I had that promise from my Savior's lips. Some days I think I have that promise. Other days I'm not so sure that my death would glorify God. Because look, like all you need to do is look, look at the news and see 
how many pastors and ministry leaders fall. Like, we don't get into this wanting to blow everything up, right? Like, I'm sure the men who you hear about in the news, they entered into ministry with good intent. But man, they, they leave a wreck behind them, right? I long, there are days where I just long to be sure that my death would glorify God, that I would end well. I know the kind of day Peter was having before Jesus showed up. You know the kind of day for yourself, too. We've all lived it. But I guarantee you it was not the same kind of day after Jesus showed up. Has Jesus showed up in your life? Have you heard his calling card? Have you invited him into the places of past failures? Have you heard his persistent knock, knock, knocking on the door of your heart? If so, brothers and sisters, you need to rejoice. God's spirit is in you. This is the best news there ever were, was, and go tell someone about it, please. But if not, then would you please hear these words from Jesus' own mouth? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Peter heard his voice and opened the door. You all have just heard his voice too. Just now, would you open the door? Please pray with me.